So today uh, we're continuing our uh, Open to the Spirit message series, and I'm going to be speaking to you about the spirit of freedom, the spirit of freedom, which I believe is a very important message uh, for us to hear. I love that first song that we, I love both of the songs that we, we, uh, we sang actually before service. Actually, the second song is one of my most favorite worship songs at this moment uh, about, you know, uh, old Hill King Jesus. But the first one had this, this really powerful uh, phrases in there. It said, we were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were prisoners, now we're running free. Wow. Isn't that amazing? We were prisoners and now we're running free. We're, we're running free. We can live in freedom. And you know, freedom is, a, is an amazing gift that, that we have. And, and I'm thankful to live in a country that, you know, we're more or less free. I mean, don't think about the corona rules, but we're free. And, and you know, uh, thinking about uh, World War II, 1940 through 1945, and, and how we were delivered from oppression, how we were delivered from uh, from, you know, from the, from the Germans, basically. And, and it's a big gift. I mean, people fought with their lives for us that we would have this freedom. And um, in fact, when you, when you think about the stories of the people that lived during that, during that time, of course, uh, many of them are not around anymore. But my dad was born in, in World War II. He still, he still lives, thank God for that. But he hasn't a lot of active memories. But I spoke to another, uh, another gentleman, a, a, actually a pastor, who was born in the same year, I think it's 1942. And uh, he told me that um, he's Indonesian background and how he's actually seen people being murdered right in front of his eyes and the, the terror and the, um, the horror that he's experienced at this, at this young age. And then, then you can see how important it is that we uh, live in a country that is actually free. I'm thankful for those who actually fought for our freedom. When you look at Google and, and ask Google, what freedom is, it will tell you something like, it's the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants. Another definition on Google was the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Thank God we don't live behind bars in this nation. Thank God that there is relative freedom in this country. And they're great definitions, but biblically speaking, they lack something really important. There's more to freedom than just that. I love the letter of the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 has a great definition of, has a great thing to say about uh, freedom. It's actually from the, the Apostle Paul. And we're going to pray, and then we're going to dig into this. Father, we thank you for freedom. God, we thank you, Lord, that you give us true freedom, God. Not as the world gives, but as you give, Lord. And Father, we just pray right now that you'd open up our words, uh, that you open up your word, open up our hearts, God, for, you, for us to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Man, that's... I could just close the Bible and go back to my seat right now. That, that is a sermon in itself, right? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home myself. I, I got saved when I was 21 years old. And I found myself in this Pentecostal, you know, charismatic, full gospel church. And we experienced freedom. 
Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Man, this is so, such an important value that we can grab a hold of. And my desire, my prayer for you all is that you would experience this for your own life. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is true freedom. But we may ask ourselves, what kind of freedom does the spirit of the Lord give us? Jesus said this, John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is a great quote for on a, on a mug, right? Coffee mug. You, you, you need to drink from this mug every morning just to be reminded of this powerful, powerful fact. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Of course, when you read a verse like that, it's powerful, it's inspiring, but it's always important to look at the context. So what does the context say of this verse? Verse 34 and verse 35, add this to it. Jesus speaking, truly, truly, I say to you. <laughs> it's interesting because when you go back to the Greek, because the, the gospel of John is written in Greek, it says, amen, amen, as if, other people weren't amening Jesus. Like he was saying some powerful things. He's like, well, in case nobody else amens me, I'm going to amen myself. Just want to show you how important it is what I'm about to say right now. That's really what amen, the word amen does in the, in the Bible, especially if it's repeated, which is repeated for emphasis. They didn't have italics or bold or anything like, or underscore or anything like that. They, they did it this way in, in the language. So, amen, amen. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is saying here that we don't have to be slaves anymore. We don't have to go around with a yoke of sin anymore. We don't have to live as those prisoners anymore. No, we're running free, as the song said. We're no longer beggars, we're royalty. He lifts us up as sons and daughters of the Most High God. He lifts us up as royal sons and daughters. We don't have to be chained by sin. Instead of being slaves to sin, we're now sons and daughters who are free. Jesus sets you free by way of his spirit. The Lord is the spirit we saw in, in 2 Corinthians, right? So when the Son sets you free, when the Holy Spirit starts to live in you, the spirit of almighty God wants to live in you. That is a new covenant, right? That, that he etches his laws on our hearts. We don't have to, you know... Follow some kind of rule-based religion. No, actually God etches it on our own hearts. So we, we want to do what's right. That is true freedom. Jesus sets you free by way of his spirit. But we live in a broken world. Just look around you. I mean, just, just go to nos.nl. Or CNN, if you prefer CNN. Or any other news channel. It's like there's only negative stuff happening in the world around us. There's wars and rumors of wars. This is actually a quote from the Bible. There, there is sickness. There is disease. There is death. There is 
um, injustice, there's poverty, there's all these other things happening in the world. And we're like, how can we actually live our lives in a, in a world like this? There's the influence of sin around us. And it's like, you know, this is somewhere in the early on in the Bible, I think it's chapter, Genesis chapter 4, that, that, that sin is projected as this wild animal, like waiting outside at your door. And if you just open the door, he's, he's, he's there to grab you. The power of sin is all around. But how can we avoid getting trapped in its tentacles? Paul says this, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Sounds easy, right? The answer is pretty easy. It's pretty clear what Paul's saying right now. There is actually a solution to the problem we're facing in our day-to-day lives. We need to walk by the Spirit. Maybe just turn to the person next to them, next to you and say, walk by the Spirit. Come on, that's only half of you. Say it again. <laughs> so Paul's basically saying here, if we do this, If we dare to walk by the Spirit, we won't be pulled away by our sinful desires anymore, by the the flesh, which is our sinful desires that keep keep pulling us back into our old lifestyles. we got to walk by the Spirit. A few verses later, Paul tells us us what, what the works of the flesh are like, how you know what works of the flesh, the desires of the flesh result in if we if we kind of let this go unchecked. In our lives. Verse 19 says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. <laughs> You're wondering, why is he so fast? We could preach a whole sermon about all of these. But I just want you to get the point. It's not about these things. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We could focus on all these negative behaviors. We could say, well, in order to conquer this, you just preach 20 Hail Marys and do this and do that and follow this rule, follow that kind of rule. But it's not the solution to, to dealing with these things in our lives. The solution is simple. But profound. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. But why does Paul say that those people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God? Where's grace in all of this? Doesn't it sound too harsh? But there's something we got to understand here. The New Testament, which obviously portrays Jesus as as a son of God who is full of love, full of grace towards sinners. But we got to understand that the New Testament wasn't written in isolation. There's the Old Testament. In fact, New Testament writers refer to the Old Testament as the scriptures. 
as basically the Bible that was revealed up to that point until the New Testament authors started to write their New Testament scriptures. But the Old Testament is as valuable as the New Testament. And, and let me take it one step further. The Old Testament proclaims the same Jesus as the Old, as the Old Testament proclaims the same Jesus as the New Testament does. It's speaking about the same God. It's not like the Old Testament God is a God of wrath and then the New Testament God is a God of love and of grace. The Old Testament God is a God of love and of grace just as much as the New Testament God is. It's the same God. He's not psycho or something. There's the concept of sacred space, holy ground. Garden of Eden God planted this, this Garden of Eden, right? And he wanted humankind to live in this garden and to extend the borders of the Garden of Eden. Basically, make the whole world as the Garden of Eden. That was God's plan for mankind. But the Garden of Eden was sacred space. It was holy ground. Why? Because God lived there. God walked around there. And he lived there together with the humans he created who he wanted to be a part of his family. It was holy because of the person who was there, which is God himself, Yahweh. But then, of course, sin entered into the world. Humankind got kicked out of Eden. You know, you know the whole story. Most of us know the whole story. If not, well, there's probably some messages you can watch back. But mankind had to leave sacred space. They, they, they left the very presence of God and had to go into the wilderness. But you see the desire of the Lord throughout the Old Testament and then also it carries over into the New Testament that, that God wanted to live among his people. So if you go a couple of chapters further in the book of Genesis, this is Genesis chapter, chapter 11 is the, the Tower of Babel. And mankind gets spread over the whole world. And then Genesis 12, you see that God picks out one man in his family, Abram. And he basically says, no, I want to continue with you. And his descendants will actually go to a place called Canaan, which is what we now know as Israel, the promised land. The promised land was the very same thing, sacred space. Why? Other, other names for, 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 for what used to be Canaan, Israel, or um, which is obviously like the son of, uh, the, the grandson of Abraham and then his sons, which are all the, ten, the 12 tribes of, of Israel. But then there was also um, like Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem and, and Zion. Zion, you know, if you go to the Psalms, it is, it is the dwelling place of the Lord. It's where the Lord wants to dwell with his children, with his people. And that is Israel. Israel was supposed to be the dwelling place of God with his people. That is sacred space where God is. Of course, they forfeited this whole thing. They, they started sinning. They started to serve other gods. And then the Lord said to Israel, well, if you want to serve other gods, you better go to the nations where those other gods are ruling. I'm going to have to put you out of the promised land. I'm going to have to put you out of sacred space. You, can you need to live there under the oppression of, of those false gods, and of those nations that serve these false gods. But you've got to step out of this land if you don't want to serve me anyway. 
this whole notion of, of sacred space, which you see in the Old Testament over and over again, gets carried on into the New Testament. It gets carried on in the, in the, in the letters that Paul wrote to the, to the, to the church in Corinth, where he, where he says these crazy, seemingly crazy things that, you know, this man that sleeps with his stepmother, that he has to be put out of the church. Basically, he's being put out of the church into the wilderness, into the place that is not sacred, because the church is supposed to be sacred space. And here Paul says the same thing in Galatians, basically, hey, if you're, if, you're, if you're engaging in the things that the nations of this world are doing, if you're engaging in the things that, that are okay with these other gods, then go and live there. You're not supposed to be in the place that's sacred space. So it's a warning that, that if we go after these other things, that, that we don't belong in sacred space. And it's, it's actually a call to us back to the Lord, to serving him, putting him first in our lives. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't sin anymore, but it does mean that our hearts are loyal, that our hearts are fully sold out to Jesus, to the Lord, to Yahweh, and that we live on sacred space together with him. You know, the Bible paints this clear picture that, that we as believers, we're actually temples. We're temples of the Holy Spirit, which means that God dwells in us. That means that every person, every believer who serves God, who, who puts Yahweh first, you know, who, who really can proclaim that all hail King Jesus, that those are the ones who are sacred space that walk around here in this world. So if Yahweh is your Lord, if Jesus is your Lord, you're sacred space. And together we are sacred space. We are a royal priesthood. As the Bible, as, as Peter describes us in one of his letters, we're a royal priesthood. That means we're royalty, first of all. We, that means that we're not the scum of the earth anymore. We're not like this small human somewhere that, you know, the Lord can hardly accept me. No, 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 no. We're, we're imagers. We're, we're, we're royal sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we got to go back into that identity. Because that's who we are. But we need his spirit. We need his spirit. There's more to freedom than just freedom from sin. I just want to go back to the verse that we looked at in the beginning. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, and then verse 18 as well. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Everybody say transformed. This is the same language uh, of, a, of a caterpillar that turns into a, a beautiful butterfly, right? We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Wow. We're being transformed. When we gaze upon Jesus who is the express image of God as the Bible describes him, when we look into his face, when we keep looking up to him, we become more and more like him. When you spend time with someone, you become like that person. You know, we just got a dog a couple of weeks ago. And there's this saying that, 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 a, that a, the boss of the dog, how do you say that? The, the, whatever, the owner of the dog, thank you very much will start looking more and more like his dog. How many of you are dog owners here? Okay, I can tell you what your dog looks like by looking at you. So if, so I'm, you know, my, I love dogs with 
you know, flat noses, like Boston Terriers and stuff. My wife told me, you know, you can't have one. So we have one with a, you know, with a longer snout. So you'll see me develop that probably in the coming few weeks. I don't know. But when we spend time with someone, we become like that person. When we spend time with Jesus, we can become like Jesus. And that is the whole point. That is what the Lord wants to do in our lives. And it is because of the Holy Spirit living in us. Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord. The Lord is that Spirit, as the, as the verse said. So when the Lord is living in us, when King Jesus is living in us, we become more and more like Him. We just got to give Him room. We just got to be open to the Spirit. Freedom means, true freedom means that we are being transformed into God's image. Jesus was the perfect image. He was the perfect imager, perfect representative of God. He was the, he is called the second Adam. So the first Adam spoiled it, right? He lost something that was dear, something that was precious, something that God had deposited in Adam and he had to leave Eden, go into the wilderness, into the place where God is not. That is the wilderness. And Jesus... Interesting to see how, how Adam, in the most perfect place, in the Garden of Eden, lost something. And how Jesus, in the worst place thinkable, in the desert, where he was, you know, uh, tempted by the devil, that's where, where he gained something. First Adam, second Adam. Jesus is the picture of what the first Adam should have been like. Jesus is the picture of what you and I should be like. The Bible says, I don't even know where it says, but it's in the Bible. I can guarantee it is. Just like Jesus, uh, we are to be like Jesus in the world. Of course, Jesus is divine and he's 100% God and he's also 100% man, but in his humanity, we got to follow him. We got to be like him. He is the perfect human. And we, we shouldn't do this in our own strength. You're going to get frustrated if you're going to try to be like Jesus in your own strength. You need the Holy Spirit who etches the law of God, the Ten Commandments, all these other, love God and love your neighbor. Who etches, he etches that in our hearts by way of the Holy Spirit. We're free to become what God designed us to be. That's what it's about. That's what the gospel is about. The Spirit not only gives me freedom to no longer walk in sin, but the power, that the power of the flesh is broken in my life. The Spirit gives me freedom to become all God wants me to be. So you don't only take it from the negative side. Well, because of the Spirit living in me, I don't have to do these things anymore. No, 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 no. No, it's a positive thing. Because of the Spirit living in me, I can become what God designed me to be in the first place. So here's the definition of freedom. Freedom is not the liberty to do whatever we want to do, like, to do, which is the Google definition, which is the world's definition of freedom. That's not freedom. That's chaos if everybody does what they want to do. That's why the world is in chaos, right? Freedom is a liberty to be all God designed us to be. Because then, you know, <laughs> a um, wonderful theologian actually who wrote the book that we based this uh, the series on uh, Scott McKnight, um, he, he has this term, it's called the Jesus Creed. And, he, and it basically is, love God, 
with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's that simple. That's how simple Christianity is. It's that simple. So when we live that way, the world becomes different because if we live that way, our freedom is no longer a selfish freedom. I can do what I want. No, it's I can do what God wants. And when I do what God wants, it's always good for that other person. We won't have wars anymore. We, all, we won't have oppression anymore. We won't have injustice anymore in this world if we live this way. And we all live this way. God created us in his image. And the spirit transforms us so we can truly image him well as we keep focusing our eyes on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, once more. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I want you to focus on one more thing here. Can we keep the scripture up? Can we read this, these first three words here together? This is profound. You probably never noticed this, but this is right here. And we all. And we all. This is powerful stuff. Basically, this means that if we want to become more like Jesus, if we want to see the full image of God in our lives restored, then we cannot do this by, our, by ourselves on our own. There's this, this whole idea that, that you can... You know, even like throughout the history of Christianity that, you know, the best place to be at is some, in some kind of desert in some kind of corner of the world where, no, where you don't have any other people around. So that's the place where you can serve God best because you're not bothered by other human beings. God designed us for community. God desi designed us for this we all. He designed us to be together, to love one another, to to represent Yahweh to one another. And we all, and we all. I love Proverbs 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man, sh as, and one man sh sharpens another. So being, becoming more and more like Jesus, being transformed in his image, it sounds like a nice idea when you're all there by yourself, but you need other people around you for this to happen. You cannot truly serve God you cannot truly call yourself a Christian if you're just out there by yourself in isolation. This is something that you live out with your brothers and sisters, with the family. I'm not talking about the, the institution, right? So, so that's, the, that's where we sometimes have the problems because, you know, we've been part of churches and we've been hurt. And maybe you get hurt in this church as well. But, hey, we're still human beings. And, and, and the fact that we live together, it means that sometimes this other person needs a little more grace from you. It's a little more love from you. But we cannot practice grace. We cannot practice love if you don't have this other person around you that sometimes makes it very difficult for you. That's why the family is so important. Becoming more like Jesus is what God, is what God wants. So Paul lists the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. We read that really fast. But he also lists the fruit of the Spirit. And notice that he says fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. This is a theological, theologically 
profound point because it's not like God gives us certain fruits and, you know, he gives Sister Marlene, he gives this one fruit and then, and then Sister Jos um, uh, um, another one. And, you know, no, he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And it has several aspects. It has, it's a multi-flavored fruit. It's kind of like a good wine, you know, that has all these different, you know, raspberry and a little bit of oak and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You know, if you're a wine taster, you know what I'm talking about. That's kind of like the fruit of the Spirit. It's like it has these complexities and it's beautiful. So he says this, Galatians 5.16, we read this before. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And here goes on in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody in the world lived like this? Well, you know what? The fruit of the Spirit that is being described here is actually the character of Jesus. This is Jesus, man. This is His character. So if we are filled with the Spirit, if the, the, the Spirit of Almighty God lives in us, the Spirit of Jesus lives in us, this is what will come out. And maybe sometimes you'll go into, you know, make a wrong decision, take a wrong turn here or there, and you'll, you know, you'll lash out to your dog or whatever. But the Lord wants to develop this in our hearts because of Jesus, because of Him living in us and through us. The fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ as the perfect image and the perfect imager of God. So when the Spirit of the Lord lives in us and we give Him room, the character of Jesus, who is the perfect image of God, becomes visible. We are transformed in His image as we keep looking unto Him. True freedom. Is when we become God, all, all, as we become all, all God wants. Man, I'm going to say this phrase again. You notice I'm tired here, right? True freedom is when we become all God designed us to be. That came out better. And it happens in the context of family. We're all transformed in his image in a greater degree as we keep focusing our eyes on Jesus and we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. When I went through my notes yesterday night, way too late. That's why I'm so tired right now. I believe it was the Holy Spirit who specifically told me, hey, you got to give the people three specific points about this. Three extremely important points about walking with the Spirit and living in freedom. So you're ready to write them down because it was too late. I couldn't, couldn't send them off to the Beamer anymore. So, so you got to write them down yourself. So listen carefully. I will say this only once. <laughs> Some of you are chuckling up, and I know why. First one is this. Focus your eyes on Jesus. Focus your eyes on Jesus. Write it down. Come on. Keep focusing your eyes on you. We got to have a reminder. Put it on your, you know, refrigerator or something. Second one is this. Be open to the Spirit. Be open to the Spirit. And the third one. Commit to family. Commit to family. We need one another. And if, if you're watching online, um, you've stayed home due to corona or, you know, maybe health issues or other, other reasons, 
try to find a way to make it back to church, make it back to family again. And maybe not in a context of this many people, maybe, you know, you meet together in a home, but it's important that you meet with others, with other sons and daughters, face to face. Zoom is great, you know, Skype is great, and all these other platforms are great, but they will never measure up to a face-to-face encounter like what we have at this moment because God designed for his children to be together in person. That's why you made the right choice this morning to physically go to this place because you're being built up. You're being strengthened. You're being sharpened. Spiritual growth, discipleship, happens in the context of family. You and I, we need one another. I need you and you need me. You can't do this alone. You can't. You simply can't. There's no, there's no way. There's no, in the biblical definition, there's just no way you can do this by yourself. This is a Western mindset, individualistic type of deal, consumerist type of deal that we think we can just get all we need, spiritually speaking, by watching a live stream or a recorded sermon or few worship songs we got to be in the house together and I don't know about you but man when when we were worshiping together this morning you know this amazing team here leading us into worship they're not performing the only thing that they're doing is they're 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 leading us they're they're helping you you know to give a little you know give the right words give the give the right tune to, to sing along and to to really focus your eyes on Jesus that's all what worship is about Making sure that he truly is the king of our lives. But as we do that, I believe the Holy Spirit will fill the room. He'll do miracles. He'll heal people. He'll fill your heart. He'll encourage you. You know, if you've been walking around with, you know, depressed thoughts and stuff I know he wants to heal you I just want to ask the worship team back up here I believe there's a real freedom God wants to give to, to some of you in this place today and we could all stand in the presence of the Lord you know what's going on in your heart You know that there, you know, the Bible also says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what you're walking through right now, no matter what you've done, no matter what, you know, sin or other stuff you're involved in, know that you're loved, know that you're cherished, know that the Father loves you. Know that the Father wants nothing else but heal heal you and set you free and and allow you to, to, to be reconciled with, within yourself and, and to, to really receive your true identity as a son and daughter of God. But he accepts you as you are. There's some freedom that he wants to give this morning. We're going to pray that he's going to break those chains. Remember that old song, take the, take the shackles off my feet so I can dance? Come on. You're old if you know that song. <laughs> Me too, I know it. I love it. <laughs> but 
that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to take off those shackles. He wants to take off those ch chains that you've been bound to. He wants to let you walk in full freedom this morning. He wants you to walk out of this room changed, utterly, profoundly changed for the glory of Almighty God so that people around you will see who your Lord is, will see who your King is. Not so you could be arrogant and feel better than the other people. We're, we're all the same, right? There's only two people, in, two kinds of people in this world. The people who've, who've been reconciled to, to the Lord, who've been reconciled with their Heavenly Father, and those who haven't been yet reconciled with their Heavenly Father. And our job is to go out and tell them about their amazing Father who wants them to come home to them, to Him. Let's pray. God, we, we come to You, Lord. We thank You for powerful moments in the presence of Almighty God. Yahweh, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for your name. Yeshua, Yahweh saves. And God, you don't only save us from hell and from condemnation. You also want to save us from patterns, Lord, that hold us back, that make us feel ashamed sometimes of ourselves. And God, we, our prayer today is that those chains will be broken those chains will be broken in the name of Jesus. Everything that holds me back, everything that holds you back, that keeps you from following him completely, that keeps you from representing him, that keeps you from really being that, you know, that mirror reflection of, of the Lord Almighty, of Jesus. Break those chains, Lord, this morning of your people. Allow your people to walk in full freedom so that they can truly experience what it is to be sons and daughters of, most high, of the Most High God, Lord. Royal sons and daughters. Princes and princesses, Lord. God, do something new. God, as, we, as we're, we're, we're transitioning into worship these coming few moments, God, we pray that you do something new in, in all of our hearts. That we would really walk away free, that we would walk away delivered, that we would walk away full of joy just to represent you well, God. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, amen. Let's, let's worship the Lord together.